0: Welcome to the ICARIO podcast once again with your hosts Oliver Cowlishaw and Shane Millach.
1: And we are still in the How to Get Your Shit Together series. And like we announced last time, this time we are talking about finance. So financially, in terms of money, in terms of wealth building... How do you get your shit together? Where to start? And as always in this series, we're going to talk about the top three most important, most effective, highest leverage things to do to start taking care of your money. Now, right away, a couple of things. Let's, let's clarify a couple of things. First, this is not like how to get rich in three steps, right?
0: I'm leaving. <laughs>
1: Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, this, this, is not, this is definitely not like a get rich quick thing that we're talking about. This is essentially real finance in the real world. And it's also a bit of an odd one out in everything we talk about. Finance is a bit of an odd one out. I'm generally quite um, focused on like primal stuff. And you know, so far we've talked about like physical movement, physical health and emotions and mental health and all this kind of stuff, right? Which is all like very you know, human. And now we're talking about finance, which is this, you know, money, this kind of made up thing out there. It's kind of different, right?
0: Numbers on a screen yeah. and just yeah, currency. It's like it's, caveman ancestors would not have understood what the hell that was. Yeah, totally.
1: And it, so it is, it is like the odd one out. The reason it's here is it's because despite it being, yeah, kind of far removed from the primal human experience, it is just... Incredibly important. It's one of those things that if if your finances aren't in order, like the worse your finances are, the less you can focus on anything else, because it's one of these things that just becomes a dominant problem. And also, we've talked before about the idea of personal power. And one of the goals with Icario is we want to empower people. And that means literally, we want you to be more powerful. We want to give you the tools to be a more powerful person. And finance is, is like one of the most direct forms of power. So it is something that, that needs to be talked about. The second thing I want to add as kind of a, a preamble is let's briefly talk about debt. Because I'm going to speak from a perspective of kind of pre-debt. Here's, here's what you should have done to not get into all this debt. And I'm aware that a lot of people are in an absolute clusterfuck of debt. Uh, this has become the norm in most of the world now. And basically, here's the thing. You have to get out of debt. That's the first thing. Financially, you have to get out of debt. And I'm going to refer to mainly Dave Ramsey for this. If you're in debt, we'll link to this as well. Go to Dave Ramsey. He has the debt snowball thing and so on. And make this a priority. Get out of debt. You have no financial power as long as you are buried in a pile of debt. And you can start building financial power when you have real control over your debt. I'm not saying that you have to be at zero debt before you can start with anything else. But like I called it a clusterfuck of debt because most people kind of accrue debt all over the place. They don't know exactly how much debt they have in total. They don't know what the interest rates on different debts are. And they're paying off one card with another card and all this kind of stuff, right? Like most people are in such a mess that they don't even know how much debt they they don't even know how bad the situation is. And you have to get out of that. You have to have a complete handle on your debt before you can essentially start acquiring financial power. And this is, yeah, like I said, we could do an entire episode about this, but I think Dave Ramsey is the person to go to for this. And that's kind of step one. Who's Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey is... This guy who talks about finance. Uh, <laughs> he's got, I'm know, assuming
0: he knows what he's talking about. He, yeah, he very much <laughs> knows what he's talking about. And he has
1: actually, I don't know if it's a podcast or a radio show or or what what it is, but he's a person who talks to a microphone <laughs> and <laughs> and tells people to get out of debt, basically. Right. Okay. And has just like you know a lot of material. It's like one of the things he he really specialises in helping people get get their debt under control. So, with that said. Here are the, the, the three top things that you need to be doing in order to start getting your shit together financially. Again, like beyond um, getting out of debt. So the first is that you should make a habit immediately of uh, saving 10% of your income. So just automatically 10% of your income should go into a savings account. And this is very much the first step because there's a lot of other stuff that you can do and that you should do eventually, but this is the place to start. And I say that this is the place to start also because you can do this at any level of income. You can live off of 90% of what you're currently making. And that is true even if you are, you know, barely make any income. And I say this out of experience, by the way, because I started doing this and I'm very grateful that I started doing this uh, long before I had like steady income. And so at the time it was, and in the beginning, it can be a bit of a discouraging experience where you have like this, this tiny, measly amount that you're putting aside into your savings account. And your savings account is kind of pathetic looking for quite a long time, right? But just the habit of doing that is something that was massively valuable for me. And mm. I started doing that many, many years ago. And so initially, there's, there's nothing else to do, right? You just have any savings account and it doesn't doesn't matter what kind of a savings account it is. It doesn't have to be an investment account. It's basically the cheapest savings account you can get, right? Don't let them upsell you on some nonsense. Um, it should just be a separate account where you put your money with the idea of, I never want to touch this money. And I just also want to tell a, a brief story of how this worked out for me. Because like I said, I started doing this when I had, when I was working like temp jobs and I, I never knew how much income I'd have. And I was always you know, stretching every penny basically to get by. And I started doing this and two things happened that, that make this so worthwhile. The first is that after a few months, so, so first of all, you know, even if you have very little money, like 90% of that money, you can still get by. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you just imagined that you made 10% less and that was your salary, then you'd find a way to get by. So that's how you have to treat it, right? I really don't want to touch that money. And the second, or the first thing that happens then is that even though in the beginning it can be quite discouraging, what happens is that over time, after a few months or after a year or so, you start, you log into your bank, your e-banking thing, and you can see that, okay, here's your current account, which is almost always empty, right? But then there's this other account and that amount starts looking interesting. And it starts changing your attitude because even if it takes a long time, at some point you look at that and you go, oh, I could comfortably live an entire month off of just this. And at some point it's like three months or six months. You're like, oh, hold on. If I lost everything right now, if I got fired, if I lost all of my income sources, I'd be fine for like half a year. And that feels very, very different than looking at your
0: bank account and it's always like the you know you're always on your last 12 dollars somehow you know yeah and just hoping that there isn't some catastrophe that occurs like your car breaks down or something like that exactly these things that do happen so i mean this isn't this is obviously related to the mental aspect and mental emotional stuff as well so the peace of mind that can come from that and this is this is classic compound interest isn't it you know because mm-hmm. like compound interest when i often think about that i think Usually, that's used in terms in like investing and stuff like that. It's like you can apply the same thing. What I've done, um, because this this I actually started doing this about a couple of months ago, um, when, at, you know, at the at the advice of one of the other members of the team, Abby, suggested that you do this exact thing, like ten percent of your saving, ten percent of what you what you earn, put it into a savings account. I, I've actually set up a a standing order that just goes from current account to savings account, and I never have to look at it, and I just. And and yeah, you're exactly right. If someone was like, oh, take this much money every every week or so, I'd be like, no, give me that back. But when you just set it up, you just don't think about it. And next thing you know, you've just got this steadily growing amount of money. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, well, that's nice. Every time you look at it, it's just a little bit bigger number. You're like, hmm, it's quite nice. And yeah. that does, it gives you that sort of peace of mind. This isn't even compounding yet though.
1: This is not compound interest because compound interest is if, you, if the earnings grow proportionally to the size of, of the pot, right? So if you were earning 10% on that money, then every time you get the 10%, it's 10% larger. So the next 10% is larger and so on and so forth. That's compound interest. And that's the thing that starts very slowly and eventually is insanely lucrative. And that's, that, you know, you get into that when, when you get into investing, essentially. Right. But it's, it's good that you mentioned that because like even without the compounding effect, just the automatic saving already does this, uh, already gives you that peace of mind. And the more automatic it is, the better. Yeah. But also actually compound effect, the, the, compound interest is one of the things, it's why you have to get out of debt because you're paying interest on your debt and that compounds. And This is, yeah, this, you have to understand compound interest and I should talked about this before, but Hey, you know, amateur podcast, (laughs) (laughs) you have to understand compound interest and the way to understand compound interest is not to use your brain because your brain cannot understand compounding. Okay. Your brain, your intuition, when you think about it, oh yeah, mm, it gets more. No, 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 you have no idea what this means. Your brain can not compute this. All right. The way to understand this is you have to write it down. So. Compound interest, right? It goes both ways. If you see a TV or a couch or whatever, you know, it's like $1,500, but you can get it on debt. You can get it in rates or whatever. Like your brain can't make sense of that. What you have to do is you have to say, okay, if I get this payment plan, how much will this couch cost? Oh, $2,000. Do I want this couch for $2,000? That's the question. That's only the first question. Because if the answer is yes, then save $2,000, then buy the couch and keep the $500. But the other question is, what happens if I miss some payments, right? That's the and you, again, you can't just, well, I guess it gets a bit more expensive. No, write it down. Write down, what happens if I miss six payments? How much does this couch cost? What if I then can't catch up how much does this couch cost in five years if I can't catch up on these payments, right? And eventually, like, do I want to buy this couch for $25,000? No, probably not. (laughs) It's a pretty good couch. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it better be, right, at that point. So, yeah, your brain can't understand that. And it's the same with investments where, you know, people love to draw the graph of ideal investment returns and so on. And yes, indeed, right, you invest a little bit, and you get compound interest and eventually you're wildly wealthy. There, I think that, but again, this kind of goes beyond what we're talking about in this episode, because the simple story you're being told is too simple. And the, you know, the, the, the principle that I like to refer to for this is the phrase, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. Right? So whenever someone t- tells you about the, the wonders of investing and it's like, oh my God, look, if you put in this much money over 40 years and blah, 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 and then you have millions of dollars. In your mind, what should flash across your mind is, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> so, and that's one of the reasons why we're not talking about investing in this episode.
0: Maybe, maybe another episode. Maybe another episode. I'd, I'd like yeah. to pick your brain on quite a lot about that.
1: All right. So back to 10% savings right? Automatic 10% savings. And yeah, like we talked about, it gives you a great sense of security to have that savings build up. And I think it's, it's really good to have a savings that you are not going to touch unless it's a real emergency. And that savings should be at least six months to one year of your living expenses. That's a really good place to come from. Now, in my case, like I said, I, I built this habit early on. And I was really glad that I did because what happened in my case is that I did spend that money at one point. And I spent that money when I was transitioning from one business to another. And so I was getting into software development and trying to figure out how to build a software company. We started hiring people and stuff, and this cost a lot of money. And at that point, I decided that in order to keep this going, so I basically ran out of money and I decided, that it was worth pursuing this. It was worth investing to learn how to build a software company. And I essentially decided the best investment I can make right now, best place to put my money is into my own company. And that's what I did. And I basically raided most of my savings account in order to keep this software development experiment going, which eventually turned into Themes, which obviously is a God knows how many thousands fold return on investment, right? So. And that is an example of a good investment decision made. So it's like obviously you can try to build a savings account that you just keep building until you retire. And that's that's well worth doing. In my case, it really enabled me to do yeah, to do this thing that that ended up being my most important business that I've built so far. And without that, without starting the habit of putting aside 10%, even if it was a pathetically small amount. I couldn't have done that and that would have cost me, I don't know, you know, would have cost me a lot, would have cost me a lot not to be able to do that. So that's also just a personal story of why this is important to me or why, you know, I've kind of proven how well this can work out, even with,
0: with very humble beginnings. Got oh, yeah. So, and here's a personal story about why finances has always been a, a topic that I just, I, I've just never had a good handle on it. And the the part of the reason for that is because of my own slightly misguided personal philosophies in the past, because I was thinking, you know, it it was basically driven by, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So why would I save now? (laughs) I could get hit by a car. I literally told myself that before just spending daft amounts of money on like festival tickets and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I wouldn't like to get hit by a car tomorrow and not have and not spent this money. Mm. It's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that even that kind of even that kind of line of thinking is still not incompatible with just saving 10%. Exactly. So which is why I really like this. It's like it's just so simple. You know, it's just 10%. You not you're not breaking the bank. Mm. You're not not going out ever. It's just, mm. you know, it's just 10%. You won't even notice it's gone.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because you could have gotten those festival tickets anyway. You could have saved that 10% somewhere else and you could still go to the festival, so no problem. Exactly. All right, the second thing to do is manual expense tracking. So this is also something I've been doing for years and years, and it's quite interesting because when I started doing this, manual expense tracking was like the only option, whereas now it's pretty normal that your bank probably has some kind of an expense tracking feature, right? Where the money you spend with your card is automatically categorized and stuff like that. Like lots of banks have that as, as part of their base features. And also this depends on what country you live in, but also there's all kinds of like apps and financial services and so on that also do this, right? It's like, hey, we pull together all the data from your banks and cards and so on, turn it into nice graphs and all that. And no doubt that can be useful, but what I recommend is to manually track your expenses. And I recommend using Toshul for this. This is, and I'm sure there's other apps, but my favorite app for this is Toshul, which we'll link to as well in the show notes. So what you do is, whenever you spend money, you enter that amount manually. And the way Toshal works is you have different categories, and you have different tags, and then you also have a description. And the way I use it is, so, for example, today I went to get some avocados, and then I enter the amount that cost, and it's category, um, what is it, food, and tag, I have tag for groceries and the tag for eating out. And in this case, it's just food, groceries, that's it. Whenever I buy something that isn't like a, so there's some expenses where I simply tag them, you know, rent, um, food, stuff like that. Whenever I buy something else, so let's say if I buy a new lens for one of my cameras, then I will add that as an expense. I have like a tech and gadgets category, but I'll also add a note that says what I bought. And still, this only takes a few seconds, right? But I'll write down, this is what this expense was for. So that I have a complete picture afterwards of where my money went, but why do this manually? Well, the reason I recommend doing this manually is because I think like most people, I generally don't use cash anymore because just using your card or your phone or whatever, just so much more convenient, right? Yeah. So, and because of that, that makes spending like very automatic and unconscious. And manual expense tracking is just the antidote to that. Like I, I never, it's never a mystery to me. Like the, the amount of money I have in an account at the end of the month, it's never a mystery to me. I'm never like, oh, where does this money go? Because every single time I spend, I have this manual action where I confront myself with, this is how, I, how much I spent, this is where I put it. Plus I get the breakdown afterwards by category and tag and so on and so forth, right? So I can also then look back on the entire
0: year and see where my money went. Two things to say to that. One of them is Toshul is pretty good. I've downloaded Toshul and started using it since you recommended it to me. Or you said it on this team call about a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And it is really good. It mm-hmm. is really good. Um, it takes a little while for the, for the categories to, to sort of fall into place and for it to get to know what you're actually spending money on and stuff. But it is, it is really good. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is more of an observation, more something that came up for me when you were talking. So I was thinking to myself, right, so you are, you are financially free, and yet you are tracking every expense manually. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, why? Why would a person who is already financially free go to all this trouble? But then I thought, maybe you wouldn't be financially free if you didn't prioritize that. Yeah. Does that makes sense. So it's like the the kind of person who is financially free is the kind of person who does these kind of things and prioritizes them. Yeah. So it's not like I'll reach a point where I'm financially free and then I can just forget about it all and then just like spend mm-hmm. what I want.
1: Yeah, and and you can you know, you don't have to look far for stories that prove that no matter how high your income is, it's absolutely possible to just piss it all the way. You know, so I think that it's, yeah. No matter what your income level is, it's always good to be prudent and to be aware of what you're spending money on. And and for me, this is, it is something that has changed. You know, I used to be very, very frugal and I'm not very frugal anymore. Like I, I don't, it's not like I'm a, you know, I don't pres- prescribe like wild consumerism, but I, you know, a lot more often than I used to, I buy expensive gadgets that I don't necessarily
0: need. You know, like, like this one here. I don't need this, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> we have movie night here sometimes. And uh, to, cater to, to cater to this, Shane bought this projector. It just, it was like, just like this towering thing. It was <laughs> <laughs> just like, Jesus Christ. And we just took one look at that and we're like, we're not even going to ask how expensive that was because that's the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- Shane's always shady about the figures, though. It's like, how much was that? It's like, it was a lot. Yeah. Like, how much? It was a lot. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have done. You know, that's only relatively recently that I started spending money on this kind of thing. But also, I mean, the projector, it's also like an environment optimization thing that we have to talk about in a different context. Right? There's a very specific choice about why I bought a projector and not a TV.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, that kind of thing where I'm like, look, I can afford this. It's fine. But I don't want to just be doing that left and right. I don't want to be unaware of it, right? I want to know. I can then look at, oh, wow, I spent a lot of money this month. Oh, yeah,
0: here's why, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Not just be like, oh, all this money has gone. I have no idea where it's gone. Just, yeah, of course, I get it. Yeah. So, and also
1: on this note, I have to say, um, Toshil also offers automation stuff. In the premium version, you can connect it to your cards and bank accounts and so on and so forth. Don't do that. Like you can still get the premium version because it has some other extra features, but don't use the automation features. Track everything manually. That's important. So, so yeah, if you, and if you're thinking, you know,
0: that sounds pretty cumbersome. That's, that sounds annoying. Yeah, that's the point. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh man, tracking every expense manually. But that's, that's the point. Mm-hmm. T- talk a little bit about that. Why?
1: Yeah, because you want to add friction. Right? You want to add friction and, and it's a way to make your decisions deliberate because that is the downside of convenience. And, and obviously, you know, of course, every financial institution in the world and, and, and every shop and, and you know, every vendor is interested in you having the least possible friction to purchase things. So that's great. Yeah, you just, oh, you want this thing? Just pull out your phone, beep, done. You know, don't even worry about it. And this is why, you know how now when you buy things, again, this might be different in different countries, but in most places I've been, when you buy something, like when you pay with a card, then they will explicitly tell you, this is the amount, and maybe you have to press OK and then you can pay. And this is why, is because essentially governments in different places have had to mandate, like listen, for contactless purchases, this is a rule. When you're the vendor, you know, at the point of sale, you have to say out loud what the amount is. And you have to get confirmation from the customer because it's actually, if you remove that too, it's like catastrophically frictionless, you know? And this is actually then, you know, detrimental to society.
0: <laughs> because people are just waving the phones around totally. and, then, and then just money's just going all over the place. And
1: especially, like, especially if you add to this, you know, party, alcohol. And all you have to do is wave your phone and it makes a funny beeping sound and you can have whatever you want, you know, like how many, how many people who are intoxicated can make a good decision about something like that?
0: Oh man. No, I'm just thinking about times I've been smashed. No, absolutely not. There'll be drug dealers walking around with these like contactless machines next, (laughs) (laughs) just waving, (laughs) waving your phone at the problem. (laughs) And there's also, there's also
1: another personal story here um, that... It's from, from a really long time ago when I was still in school. There was this snack vendor thing that came by during, during the longest break of the day. And they were just selling like, you know, pastries and sandwiches and stuff like that. And I noticed that I got into the habit at one point of just, I wasn't hungry, you know, but it's just like, well, it's there and it looks tasty and it costs some relatively small amount, you know. And you're just like, yeah, I'll have one of these, you know, I'm bored. I will have one of these. And I got into that habit and it was at some point, like I noticed, I don't seem to have money anymore, you know, this is before <laughs> expense tracking. And somebody started paying attention to like, hold on. If this guy comes by every day and if, you know, four out of five days I buy a thing and it costs this much at the end of the month, how much have I spent? It's Like, oh crap, that's a lot of money. You know, I don't know the exact figures anymore, obviously, but basically it was like, if you look at how much money I had at the time versus how much that cost, that was a really bad deal. And if you think about, and this is also one of these things where it's just so useful to manually keep track of things, because if you think about the individual, do I want this piece of cake right now for a few dollars? Yeah, that's a good trade. But if I have the choice between at the end of the month, I've either had some cake that I didn't need and that wasn't even that good every day, but I have no money, or I haven't had the cake that I don't particularly like every day, but I have a bunch of money. Which one would I choose, right? I would choose having the money and not having the mediocre cake every time. But you have to make it deliberate. You have to make it conscious in order to be able to make that decision.
0: I like how you say that it's about making the decision because... It might be the case that, like, say a person has a couple of coffees a day from Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And that's what, like six quid a day. And that might be Monday to Friday. They might be doing that every week. And across the month, it costs so much. And if you were to swoop in and be like, hmm, take, take away the coffee and you'll have an extra like 120 quid a month to play with. Mm-hmm. But that person could easily come back and be like, um, no, that, that's 120 quid I'll spend on coffee. Yeah. That's fine by me, you know, exactly. but, but the point is being conscious of it so that you can make the decision consciously rather than just say, waving your phone, receiving loads of cake, mm-hmm. and then just spending loads of money without you knowing it.
1: And the, I, I remember as well, that the thing that, that really shocked me. So at the time, my main hobby was playing video games. And what I realized when I ran the numbers on this, what I realized is I could either have a mediocre cake every day, or I could have a new video game like every two months, you know, with the money I spent on the cake. It was like. Of course, I want a new video game. That's way cooler, right? <laughs> that is, that is what I want to do with my money. Um, and again, but if you if you let yourself unconsciously spend, then you can't make these better decisions.
0: Love how you're making conscious decisions like that. How old were you? Like four years old? You're like, hmm, maybe if I save this much money. <laughs> no, this is like y- <laughs> young teens. All right, got you. <laughs> yeah, probably. It took me till like the age of twenty to have a thought like that. So, mm-hmm.
1: okay, so. Another thing that, again, we maybe talk about on a, a future episode or something, you know, you can take this further by, by basically creating a network, net worth tracking sheet where you kind of summarize all your expenses, all your incomes, all your investments, and so on, and so that you have a month-by-month view of what's happening financially. That's kind of the next, uh, next higher meta level of your finances. So that's also worth doing, but that's one of the many things that I basically say, look, don't worry about that yet. Like first, automatically save 10%, manually track all expenses. Once you've done that for a while, then you can start worrying about the next bits.
0: You know? Yeah, that makes more sense because I'm thinking like, straight away, I, he- I heard that. It's like track your net worth. I'm like, yeah, probably not going to do that because mm. it just doesn't seem like why.
1: Yeah, it becomes relevant later down the line, right? It becomes oh, yeah. At some point, like w- once you've got the basic habits, you get to the point where it's like, oh yeah, now I need this or now this would make sense, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's the same with investments. Like, don't worry about investments until, you, until you've done this other stuff, you know? So the final one, point number three, the third thing to do is, well, it's kind of obvious, right? It's like live below your means. But so you mentioned before about the lattes and I want to make this clear, right? So living below your means basically means, you know, you spend less money than you earn. And it's the most obvious thing, of course. And you want to make a habit of that, but I'm not taking the perspective of the the well mocked perspective i'm glad to say it the well mocked perspective of like oh these millennials you know they can't afford homes because they have so many lattes and avocado toasts like <laughs> yeah that's i'm sure that's exactly the reason <laughs> you know it's it's not that the home prices have like i don't know gone up a thousandfold you know nothing to do with that <laughs> it's not the lattes to do with that. It's definitely avocado all toast. That, all the avocado avocado yeah so that is not what I'm talking about. So it's not this kind of thing of, oh, you know, you should be frugal and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff like that. It's um, living below your means. Is, it's about, again, it's actually about spending money consciously on the things that matter to you. And if that is is and avocado toast, then knock yourself out. That's great. Um, I also think of this as essentially non-suffering minimalism. So if you think about minimalism, there is a perspective of minimalism where it's just like, reduce as much as possible. Right? You just like, you sit in an empty room on the floor because you have no furniture and you have nothing. You just have nothing. Right? And to, to most people, it's not very appealing. But that's not the perspective on minimalism that I think is useful for most people. I think perspective on minimalism, the greatest description of this I've seen is in Carl Newport's book, Digital Minimalism, mm. where he describes the difference between digital minimalism, digital maximalism, where digital minimalism is not about just avoiding all technology and like never going on the internet and throwing away your phone, it's not about that. It's just about not being a digital maximalist, which is a digital maximalist is someone who basically says, any technology, any software, any application that has any benefit, I'm going to make use of. If you show me a thing and say, here's a free app with a benefit, I'm like, yes, I add it to my collection of 5,000 apps, right? That, hey, here's a phone. It has a feature that your phone doesn't have. I'll give you money for this phone, right? And instead to say, no, there's loads of apps. There's loads of features, loads of things. But I have to ask myself, how, what do I want my life to look like? What is important to me? And I want to use technology that is as perfectly as possible in line with how I want to live and with my goals and, and does as little else as possible. So if you say that, you know, something like, Here's a social media app. It lets you connect with your friend. And also it will, you know, distract you all the time. It will beep at you all the time. It will get you addicted. It will serve you ads. It will collect your data and so on. It's like, okay, there's one feature here I want. And there's like a thousand features I don't want. So I'm not going to use this, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to find another way to be connected with my friend. How about that? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so it's the same with, um, with material minimalism. It is that there's loads and loads of stuff that is being advertised at us all the time and loads and loads of stuff that is completely normal to own. But if you really think about how do I want to live my life? um, You know, yeah, what do do I want my day-to-day to look like? What do I want to do? Then I want to have things, I want to own things that are as perfectly as possible in line with that and that do nothing else. And I think a lot of also, you know, one of the things that is just, it boggles my mind that people buy these home thingies, you know, whatever, whatever they're all called, Apple home, Google, whatever. Facebook, Alexa, they even, yeah, Alexa. And even Facebook have tried to sell one of the, I don't think anyone buys that one, but they've tried. It's like, put a Facebook thing in your home and talk to it. Like nobody needs this, you know? Oh, but you can tell it, Hey, play a song. It'll play a song. Yeah. You know what else you can do? You can go like this and it plays a song. Right. (laughs) And it's just, it's one of these things. Yes, it has features that are interesting, but if you on balance, it's like you don't need this and it doesn't add anything to your life. Like you just don't need this. It just doesn't, it just doesn't check out if you really think about all the things that it does and how many of those things are in line with how I want to live and how many of those things detract from how I want to live. And so with material goods, that's the approach to take. So, like I said, if you want to have avocado toast, if you want to go out to coffee shops and have expensive avocado toast, that's a thing that you want and it's important to you and it is worth the price, it's worth the downsides to you, in this case, just like the expense mainly, then that's good, but you want to be deliberate about it. And so it's basically just like being aware of of all the consequences of, of what you purchase. And with... Material goods in general, I think there's an interesting problem where everything you own kind of owns you a little bit in return. And that is one of, the, one of the things that I think we often don't take into account. Just go, oh, yeah, I'll have just have more things. It's good. But like everything kind of, and, and I think people who declutter and get rid of a lot of stuff notice this effect. Like the, it kind of frees up your mind a little bit to have less stuff. And it's just, you know, less stuff to clean, less stuff to stow away, less stuff to, that needs a space, less stuff to, ch- to recharge, just less stuff that needs your attention in some way. And that can be freeing. And that is one of the factors that I think is worth taking into account when you think about what do I need or, or what do I actually want to spend my money on? And as an example of this, like I have <laughs> one of the places I lived in, is it's a bit extreme, but... What I did there is I invested quite a lot of money into an office and studio space. And I invested virtually no money into anything else. Because for me, it's like, look, if I'm here, I'm, I'm here to work. And so my approach isn't, I'm gonna be as minimal and frugal as possible. I'm going to spend as little money as possible. It's like, no, I'm here to do this work. I'm gonna spend a lot of money, if, it, if necessary, to make the, the perfect working space for myself. And Everything else doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to spend money on a TV. I'm not going to spend money on a couch. I'm not going to spend money on all this other stuff that is not in line with with the purpose that I have when I'm here. And that is the kind of um, the kind of frugal or the kind of minimalism that i that I suggest trying on. And that goes well with or that's basically how you can quite easily live within your means or live below your means, you know because you can essentially say, Instead of feeling like because my income is low, everything in my life has to shrink, you go, if my income is low, the things that are least important to me shrink the
0: most, and the things that are most important to me can be preserved. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the word intention, like intention, what, what um, living an intentional life brings to mind. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the sort of core theme of minimalism, really, is that you don't have, you don't have things in your life, whether it's possessions or you know, even habits to a degree or whatever, that you haven't chosen. Yeah. And that's, this, that's the kind of opposite approach of this radical sort of consumerism, where you just, without ever analyzing this value, you just seem to think that I need more stuff. I need the newest phone and all these things just because. And that's not even your idea. You, you, never, you never stopped for a moment in, in your entire life and decided that. Mm-hmm. And yet you, you, um, you behave as if you did. And that's an idea that was, was given to you. That was like one of these ideas that was just a seed that was sown from a, from a young age. That more stuff equals better. In a really vague kind of way. Yeah. And <laughs> and. Yeah, it's, that's the, the idea, and this is how the, the living an intentional life thing and the minimalism and living below your means, it's like, well, what you spend your money on, things you buy and everything, it should, in, it should ideally line up with a value or a conscious decision or a way you want to live or something that benefits your life in, a, in, in some way. And all this stuff just sounds, me, me saying that just sounds absolutely obvious. Yeah. But, but the fact is, it's not practiced by most
1: people. And in part, it's because we, we like to think that we make rational buying decisions, but we don't. We don't. Generally, when we buy things, we buy a lot of things on impulse and we buy even a lot of expensive things on kind of extended impulse. So, you know, you see, an ex- like you say, a new phone and it looks exciting. and you go, well, this is pretty expensive. So you don't like immediately buy it. It's not like um, walking by the snack aisle and just grabbing some stuff because it's appealing right now. That's, a, that's a, like an instant impulse buy. But again, you, you don't weigh it up. You don't say, okay, if I have these snacks, they're going to taste good in my mouth for a few seconds. And then I'm going to feel kind of crappy because of all the sugar. And then, and overall, it's not in line with my life goals. But you don't think that. You just go, oh, nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... But even with more expensive stuff, so you see the new phone, it looks exciting. You see the ad, it's like, oh, wow. And then you see all the people talking about it, you know, and you see, and you see the posters for it and whatever, you keep seeing the advertising and, even, and then you go, oh, it really is good. And you start convincing yourself, well, you know, it does have this many megapixels in the camera or whatever. And like you say, in the, in the end, it's not, really, it's not really a rational decision that you made. It's like, yes, this phone is going to upgrade my life quality in such a way and be downside free in such a way that it's, it's worth what I'm spending on it. It's just kind of a, a, a drip feed of, of oh, mm, don't you want this? And, <laughs> and eventually, and it kind of feels good to buy things. Right? It's Oh, I have a shiny new thing, unboxing, mm, so nice. But that lasts like five minutes maybe, right? And yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's one of those things that I think is quite interesting. It's actually difficult to live an intentional life. Which, like you say, it sounds obvious. You know, make good decisions intentionally. Duh, (laughs) right? Yeah. It's actually quite difficult to do
0: that. Like human beings are not built to do that. It takes concentrated effort. Yeah. And as for the phone example, it is absolutely ridiculous. They're they're really scraping the barrel for new features to include. (laughs) It's like, I've got like a Google Pixel something or another. And the only real addition to my previous phone I had before that is this weird like fingerprint scanner on the back Which basically means that if I ever committed a crime, whether by mistake or whatever, they've already got my fingerprints on file. And another reason why it's ridiculous is that like there's loads of these new features that involve you doing this like like doing these finger gestures over your screen and stuff. And all of this stuff is just clearly unessential. But it's like, well, we need to justify selling a new model. So you know what you can do now? You can wave your thumb at it, and it does this weird thing. It's like, no, come on, no No. one's ever needed that.
1: Yeah, and and that's funny, like because also with lots and lots of features. It's you know when i see them advertise i'm like yeah i hope there's a setting to deactivate
0: this because the first thing you think yeah
1: that's because that's let's be real like a phone a phone is a great device but you got to nerf it right you you get the phone it's it has all this crap on it that you don't want it's super distracting so you have to go into settings and be like no 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 turn this off no 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 no
0: now, and then uninstall, 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 uninstall. Now it's a good device. <laughs> it's like, how crazy is that? It's ridiculous. This, this Google phone really gets salty with you if you use another another search, <laughs> another, another search engine. <laughs> like, it really doesn't like it. I've tried disabling all the native features and it's like, it's let me do it a couple of times. when I was like, okay, I want to delete the Google search bar from the homepage. And it was just like, no, you can't do that. You have a Google phone. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's like, they get really salty about it.
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's also funny with my phone is that, for some reason, I haven't figured out how to deactivate this because, you know, the stuff you can't uninstall, right? And so there's something, like if you swipe from the bottom of the screen or something, the Google assistant comes up and it's like, it frames the screen, like, well, how can I help you? And I'm always like, no, go away, right? So it's just like, how do I back out? Like, I've never used this <laughs> thing, right? I've never, ever used this thing. And it's just every time I... I make that gesture accidentally. It's like, oh, do you have a question now? No, I want you to uninstall yourself, man.
0: Yeah, it's just it's so desperate. It's like you squeeze you. If I squeeze my phone slightly, you know, if I take my phone out of my pocket and squeeze it accident, by accident, Google Assistant's like, oh, do you need me? It's like, no, I never needed you. I never did. That was a complete accident. Please go away. And it's like, oh, all right then. You know, but yeah, anyway, back to money. That's, that's how it applies to money is living an intentional life. It, we're not saying... Don't drink Starbucks and don't mm-hmm. eat avocado toast because you're a millennial. You know? I, I love
1: avocado toast, by the way.
0: Yeah, Which well, this this relates, to, this relates to this sort of issue. I have this ongoing thing with Uber Eats. I have this love-hate relationship. Oh, yeah. And I keep talking about this on the team. It's just really common knowledge at this point. But it's like <laughs> intentionally I can sit there and say, yeah, I, I, I like people bringing me food. That's amazing. Yeah. But I don't think, and I can't justify people bringing me food like four or five times a week, <laughs> yeah. and it costing me like fifty, sixty euros a week. That's when it starts to get a little bit ridiculous, you know. Yeah. So, if I was applying intention, intentionality to this, it'd be like, yeah, once a week, cool. Uh, and if someone c- came in and was like, "Don't spend it," you could you could save forty, fifty euros a month. I was like, I don't care, man. I will spend fifty euros a month on people bringing me food every now and then. That's fine. But it's the point is, it's a it's a conscious decision. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. The last thing I wanna say on this, on living below your means is, uh, like I've mentioned before, it, it is a habit, right? It's, it's a matter of habit. And it's no harder to do that than to constantly be scraping by. And it is, so the, the last kind of sub rule here is that just never buy anything on debt. And this is also a rule like once you have, you, once you're well into wealth building, once you can say with a straight face, I am building wealth, then you can start learning about debt and how you maybe can use it to your advantage. But before the thing that you have can be called wealth, do not buy things on credit. Do not take loans. Because that is simply a sign that you can't afford it. And like 99 times out of 100, you do not need it. And this again is just a habit. It's just a habit of, for me, I've, I've, I'm basically blind to these kind of payment plan offers. Like I've just, I don't even consider it, you know? So even if I'm, I, I don't look at that. It's, it's really, it's like banner blindness, right? Because I've, I've never done it. I've never gotten something on a payment plan. I've never taken a loan. I've never gotten any kind of debt. And so for me, all these offers, you know, when you walk into a bank, it's like, oh, I'll get this thing for whatever. I'm just blind to that. And and it's, you know, <laughs> when you're interacting with someone at the bank, like as soon as they go, oh, have you heard about this offer? My eyes just glaze over. It's like no, no, this is not happening. And and the same, you know, with payment plans and stuff. Like I just, I basically don't even see that. And that's because I've made it such a deeply ingrained habit that I don't do that. That my brain is kind of just screening it out. You know? Yeah. And I think this is this is the kind of thing that actually is. This is a, going to be a recurring topic on the podcast. Is that It is no harder to live an amazing life than it is to live a miserable life because it mostly just comes down to habit. So for me, it's not hard to live below my means. It's not hard to not go into debt. It's not hard to make good decisions that lead to all the freedom and all the positive outcomes that I have. That's just what I do automatically, right? Just like someone else just automatically spends too much money, has too much debt, everything's out of control and so on. It just happens.
0: But, the, but for me, it seems like the hard thing for someone who... It, the hard thing is changing course for someone who's been... Who has these deeply ingrained habits and ways of thinking. And this conditioning that says, it makes perfect sense to buy a sofa yeah. on credit and spend... And, and keep paying for it three years later. Like, that's normal. Yeah. Like, the, the difficulty that I can empathize with, with, with people is that there's just so much... That, that, that people are taught that is normal yeah, yeah that is not only not normal it it doesn't benefit them it benefits people that um you know it benefits other people in, in like a yeah. m- in a monetary sort of way
1: yeah it's, it's good that you bring that up because yes to to clarify I'm not saying that it it ought to be easy to get here because mm-hmm. changing your habits from one thing to another is difficult but what i what I want to emphasize is that just as kind of easily and effortlessly as you're doing the things you're currently doing, I'm doing the things that I'm doing. But the, the things that I'm doing happen to afford me all this freedom and the life that I live, right? But so so what I, what I want to emphasize is that, yes, changing your habits takes uh, effort, but it's not like this endless struggle. It's mm-hmm. like you have, to, you have to do the effort to change and then that's your new normal and that's just how you live. And that's what I, I think it's important for people to keep that in mind because initially, so when you go from overspending to living below your means, it feels difficult and it feels uncomfortable. But it's important to realize that not very long from now, if you keep doing this, this is just normal and you won't even think about it anymore. But you'll be building up wealth.
0: Yeah, but the, the hardest bit is getting going. The hardest mm-hmm. bit is changing these habits initially. But if you can get past that, that f- sort of friction zone, you eventually ingrain the habit and then things start to change. Exactly. Right.
1: And again, this is why in this whole series, we've always emphasized like simplicity. And we're not going deep into all kinds of investment stuff or whatever. We're saying, look, the three things. So to reiterate, make a habit or automate saving 10% of your income, no matter what your income is, track your expenses manually using Torshall or some other app, but I recommend Toshell. And make a habit of Living below your income, or just keeping your expenses well below your income, and you do that with this kind of intentional minimalism that we talked about. You make a habit of these three things that will completely change the course of your financial future, right? in a massively dramatic way, this yeah, this makes such a huge difference. And it's just three things. Three things you can you can slowly implement. You can slowly do. None of these are difficult, right? None of these individual things are difficult to do. It takes a bit of time to get used to, but they're all easy and this can completely transform your financial future.
0: And you can start doing it now. You can start doing You're it. You start saving 10% now. You can download Toshul right now and start tracking your expenses right now. Yeah, practical. So
1: that's it. That is the finance episode. You can find the show notes at ikario.com forward slash 006. And of course, if you have questions or comments or things like that, let us know. Also, if there are things that we that we mentioned that you feel like I want to learn more about this and or you have specific questions about it and
0: let us know. And, you know, that helps us determine what goes into future episodes as well. And if you've got fan mail. Yeah. Fan mail it uh, might be a bit uh, ambitious at this point, but we've hired a, a fan mail sorter <laughs> because we realize it's just going to be a, a monumental task to sort yeah. through all the the letters from adoring fans.
1: It's gonna be like oh, a love letter for Ollie, love letter for Ollie, love letter. Oh, it's it's just constantly
0: it's uh, such a pro. So it's gonna be take up so much of my time. Yeah. I had to hire someone.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we will, you know, we'll deal with
0: it. We'll we'll manage it. We'll find a way. We all have our cross to bear. <laughs> <laughs> and yours is huge amounts of love letters. I mean, what yeah. Can you do?
1: Yeah, I know it's a tough life. All right, that is it for this episode. Um, Go to Ikario.com, subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel, do all the subscribing, click all the like buttons you can find.
0: Promo, promo, promo.
1: Yes. Buy things, I mean, from us. Specifically. Pay, pay us
0: money. Yeah. Because that helps us with our financial.
1: Also, I'm, I'm not quite sure, like, right now as we're recording this, we're not selling anything. <laughs> but go to Ikario.com and see if we're maybe selling it, selling something by the time you're listening to this. Maybe you can give us money. That would be cool.
0: Bookmark it. Bookmark it. And every, uh, 9 o'clock every day, check to see if we're selling something yeah. new so basically be, it.
1: be frugal with your spending except except for this on ikario.com. just
0: just go mental don't even think about it <laughs> don't even think don't about even it just wave the it. phone around <laughs> all the products yeah and yeah we've got your back <laughs>